This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. COVID has had a huge impact on all of us, but perhaps no industries were hit harder than restaurants and travel. Global travel shut down, hotels were shuttered, restaurants closed by the thousands, with many never to reopen. Yet the crucial importance of both industries became clear early this summer when restrictions were loosened and airports were flooded with travelers and restaurants couldn't keep up with demand, stressing out their diminished staffs. Clearly, many of us couldn't wait to get away from home and from home-cooked meals. But how will the hospitality industry cope with this year of massive upheaval, with more coming seemingly every week? Will the pandemic change how we travel and where we want to dine? Are many of our favorite spots gone forever? Will restaurants become more spacious, incorporate pods, banish menus for QR codes, or install permanent custom-made hand sanitizer bottles on every table? Will wellness become the watchword for luxury travel? Will hotels become more impersonal with lobbies staffed by robots? Is the crowded hotspot gone forever or just in retreat? What will the restaurants, bars, and hotels of the future look like? I have with me today three designers who have shaped the hotels, resorts, and restaurants of our dreams and who are already grappling with what we will want next. First is Pamela Babby, a principal and co-founder of the San Francisco-based firm BAMO. Pamela has won numerous awards and has been named to Interior Design Magazine's Hall of Fame. As well as residential work, her firm designs hotels, resorts, and restaurants around the world for such illustrious brands as the Four Seasons, Auberge, and Ritz-Carlton. She herself designed the Four Seasons in Milan and Bora Bora, the Villa Feltrinelli in Gargano, Italy, as well as the Super Yacht. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you. I'm going to enjoy this conversation. I'm also happy to have with us Matt Berman of Workshop APD, which she co-founded in 1999. In addition to architecture and design, the firm creates furniture and other products and works with a range of brands, including, most recently, Arteriors and Callista. Matt and his team have designed numerous restaurants and hotels, including the glamping resort Auto Camp Cape Cod, the glamorous Nautilus Pier 4 restaurant in Boston, and La Piscio in Manhattan, and the new Nashville Hotel. Hello, Matt. Hi, Michael. Thank you guys very much for having us. And no, I do not think there are going to be robots greeting us any day, anytime okay, soon. Okay, well, we're going to get to that. <laughs> I'm also delighted to have Adam Farmery of Avroco a firm he created with three college friends, now partners, in 2001. They are responsible for the design of dozens of restaurants, bars, and hotels in 25 cities around the world, usually overseeing every detail from interior design to branding to the layout of the menus. Just a few from the long international list are Quality Bistro in New York, the Calistoga Motor Lodge and Spa, the Perry Lane Hotel in Savannah, and Lennon's atop the Rosewood Hotel in Bangkok. Welcome, Adam. Hey, how are you doing, Michael? Right. I also agree with Matt that robots will not be um, introduced into the hotel experience anytime soon. I think leprechauns are probably the next <laughs> stage of what we're going to be dealing with. Okay, well, I'm, I want to know what your source for those is. Okay, well, we're going to get to that. The country want, of Ireland. Yeah, exactly. So, Pamela, I wanted to start with you because your, your firm does so many hotels around the world. 
obviously you must have had a bit of a shakeup in terms of what you did for the last year and a half, but what do you see ahead? Did you have to lay off people? Are you hiring people back? What do you think? Because we were all excited that travel was coming back, but now there is a Delta variant. So how are you dealing with that? Well, we obviously overnight became remote designers, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is the most efficient and most happy way to design. But sort of surprisingly, we have not had to lay off anyone. We have people working now from Chicago because they moved in with parents and things like that. But otherwise, the main projects, the big hotels that were going on, and they were sort of in early concept stage, are still, they just progressed. They never stopped. The big uh, Waldorf Astoria in Miami never really stopped. It kept on going. It just took a little more time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there hasn't been a lot of changes in program. I think the biggest one is the most obvious, eat outdoors, (laughs) have parties outdoors. We opened a couple of small hotels, the Armswell here in uh, Silicon Valley. And its big thing is that it has outdoor space because it's got a big property. And so all of a sudden when they opened, as soon as California opened, they started having events like like mad. So I think the outdoor is probably the biggest, biggest ploy, all the outdoor restaurants, all the things that have grown up on our sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's certainly impact. true in New York, everywhere. Now, Matt, what about you, your firm, Workshop APD? Is, is that something, because you do a lot of stuff in the Northeast. I mean, you do around the country as well, but you know, it's, it's not so easy to do outdoor things in the middle of winter in Boston or New York City. So what do you see what are your clients thinking about or what are they turning to you for? So, uh, Michael, we, we do a fair bit of single-family residential work as well as hospitality work. Right. And, and so over the past year, we've seen tremendous growth. Just like Pamela said, our hotel projects slowed down a little bit, but they didn't stop. Uh, they kept going. And on the single-family side, you know, tremendous, tremendous growth. So we've actually had to hire a number of people and, and we've grown to, to larger than, frankly, we've ever been before. So we're start, we're struggling with growth problems right now, which is sort of a funny place to be, especially when you're also trying to onboard new staff remotely. I think that's one been one of the biggest challenges is, is just training people when you're not together in the office. But for the most part, the remote production, remote discussions, design has actually been, you know, very healthy, has worked mm-hmm. very well. I agree with Pamela. People want to be outside. You know, we opened uh, earlier this year the auto camp that you mentioned in uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts, and that's a, a glamping concept. It's, you know, Airstream trailers, beautifully designed Airstream trailers in a big campus with a big community building, and that's done very well. People like being outside. They like the flexibility of, you know, not necessarily being in, a, in an enclosed space. So I think that's definitely something that we've seen, you know, a lot of that connection to the outdoors. But at the end of the day, people want to be together, right? So I think as soon as the mask mandates were lifted, as soon as travel restrictions were were lifted, people, and as long as people were getting vaccinated, people were excited to to reconvene. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's why you're seeing a huge boom now on the hospitality side, seeing all of these brands kind of come back together and really want to push forward. Yeah, I agree with that as well, Matt. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, people, you know, humans are, we're, we're innately social creatures and mm-hmm. we, we actually need to be together. And so the first chance that we can, whether it's outdoors or indoors, you know, we're going to take it. 
I read somewhere the other day that the kind of um, the damage to our human psyches, to our actual brain matter by being isolated is, is akin to smoking something like 12 to 14 cigarettes per day. That's how much damage wow. we're actually doing. I us, have not as, heard that. I mean, so it's, it's just one of these things that we ultimately have no choice but to kind of gather and whether vaccinated or not, I mean, you're seeing it in states where there's very low vaccination rates. And unfortunately, you know, people, people's need to kind of be together is surpassing their, their trust in science, unfortunately. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think also I was going to mention, Matt, that glamping project is really awesome, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think probably that the resorts and country smaller hotels have had the biggest positive, you know, reaction to opening up, that the city hotels have probably suffered more right. than the country and the resorts and right. especially small hotels. Yeah. Well, there was an article in the New York Times just the other day about will business travel ever come back? Now, mm. you guys obviously traveled a lot for business because you were setting up hotels and stuff for business travel, you know, not only business travelers, but, you know, people who travel for business. So how do you think that affects your clients? Are they looking to rethink you know, the luxury hotel in any way? I, I actually think that the business travel is going to come back, but just in a different way. You know, it used to be that we would send teams of three to four people to any sort of meeting wherever it was on the globe, right? And And you'd have a project team that just showed up. And I think ultimately... And you'd be doing it kind of once every couple of weeks, you know, on some projects. And I think ultimately those, those types of meetings might be spaced out a little bit more and, and you might do it with fewer team members because you might just zoom in some of the characters. And I think clients will start to look at it as a potential cost savings. But I think the way that it's going to shift is you're going to see people traveling more for remote travel work opportunities than for client meetings. So you're going to have people traveling in order to go live in a city for a month and continue right. to work for the same firm that they're working for, but just to do it from Milan or to do it from Paris or to do it from Detroit. I mean, wherever you want to go, I think people are going to have the freedom to become a little bit more nomadic because as Matt mentioned, we've all figured out how to work remotely. And so ultimately, those freedoms are going to continue to be part of the culture of not just design firms, but many companies. So I think you're going to start seeing people traveling to go live and work in a city, even though they might not even have a client in that city. So I think hotels are going to start adapting to some of this more kind of long stay visitor that's not there for three days. They're going to kind of rock up for a month. And I think you're going to have two types of business travel, really. I think it subdivides into two separate categories. You have the type that Adam was talking about where uh, though certain types of business travel can be replaced by virtual conferences, right? You can get on the phone, everybody can get on the screen, you can have a meeting that would have taken place in person. But then you have corporate business travel, you have convention travel, you have group travel. That can't be replaced, right? Anytime you want to get a group of people together, you need to do it where everybody is going to convene in places like Las Vegas and stuff like that. That's where you'd go beforehand. Now I think you're going to have group travel that is going to more unique places, right? Now you're going to have looking for more experiential travel where groups can go to a place. Maybe there's more of an outdoor component to it because people like that kind of freedom. But I think you're going to see sort of, a, you're going to see a lot more of that type of group travel as groups start to reconvene. But you're right, Matt. I think, all, you know, at the end of the day, the, there is, there's absolutely going to be that need for people to still get together in, in mass. And there's also going to be the need for people to be looking for those different types of experiences. I think those trips might become longer 
as you say. And I think it might be that people actually will stay outside of a city and come in periodically. I mean, I used to go to the Milan Fair and stay in Como and take the train in. So you had the nice sort of leisurely atmosphere on the lake, and then you could come into the the conference. And I think some people will do that and they'll, you have to plan your museum visits and everything today. So I think they may stay out in the country, you know, come into a city with their plans for theater, museum visits, and everything is plotted out. I think there's a lot more planning to travel today. It's a lot more things you have to arrange ahead of time. Right. Right. And and you had mentioned, Adam, you know, longer term stays, but this was something that was affecting the hotel business even before COVID was the the rise of Airbnb and all that. So how do your clients sort of think they need to respond to that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think ultimately there are a couple of companies out there that we've been working with who had kind of jumped into this space prior to the pandemic. Um, groups like Eden, you know, we're working on a lock hotel that's opening in Cambridge in, in another month or so, and another one we're opening in Dublin. I think they've got something like 10 under development everywhere from Munich to Barcelona, et cetera. And you're seeing groups like Ennismore and uh, so House getting into that same space. Certainly the, the luxury market, Rosewood is considering a, a product as well. So you're seeing, I think everybody's sort of gravitating towards trying to make sure that you're creating this kind of collision between an apartment and a hotel or a service department more than a, a hotel room, right? So I think that that is for sure going to continue to happen. But I think a lot of brands are also really thinking clearly about how people are occupying their public spaces and not just filling it up with a bunch of F&B, but you know, sincerely trying to put in more kind of members slash lounge areas where people can work effectively and not just big open spaces like the old, you know, the old um, kind of casual hotels like uh, the Ace Hotel, for example, pioneered here in the US, but then also So House and Hoxton pioneered in, in the UK, but where everybody's kind of thrown together in a big lot. Well, now they're having to think a little bit more about, you know, how does somebody have a reasonably quiet phone call? Uh, how does somebody have a Zoom meeting instead of just sitting in their room? Where, what are the other types of spaces that they can occupy within the hotel that are meaningful and not just kind of throw away janitor closets? That's affecting everything. I mean, you know, we're, we're growing right now and we are probably going to have to take more office space and we're thinking about the best way to plan the office space Yes. where, you know, it used to be an open concept, but then yeah. you get everybody on the phone, everybody on video calls, people sitting next to each other. There's a yeah. lot of noise in the room. And how do you create these spaces where people can go, whether it's a one person call or a two person call uh, and have that, that more sort of private moment. Yeah. I think that those implications are happening across all, all archetypes. Um, yeah. You're going to see those everywhere. You know, you're going to see pop-up phone booths in airports and things like that, because where do you go to have that private moment? It's kind of hilarious, right? Like sometimes you go to an old school hotel and there's that line of that bank of phones, right? With the little divisions in between mm-hmm. it. And we're sort of going, we're sort of going, going back, back, right going back, back, back to that, to that I know. right? This weird way. The retro look. Now, yeah. Pamela, what about the, you know, you work a lot with high-end brands like the Four Seasons and all of that. How are they thinking about this, I mean, you know, we kept hearing wellness that people are paranoid a year ago. You couldn't find a can of Lysol anywhere. You know, everybody was sanitizing everything. Is that, was that a momentary panic or do you think that's a long-term thing that's going to affect the design of very high-end hotels? Well, I think wellness obviously is a, is the catchword, and it doesn't mean you have a beautiful spa, which is what it seems to mean in advertising. But 
I I do like the Villa Feltrinelli now has a a manager who manages hygiene and health, and they're there to talk to you about your concerns and your wishes. And hotels are finding that people are not asking for rooms to be turned over with housekeeping as often. More people are eating inside their rooms than before, than previously. I'm thinking of people who are on vacation a little bit more than the business traveler Mm -hmm. in a way, because the small hotels in Europe that I, I sort of watch and they're popping up more and more in this sort of idea of service buildings, villas with service, not mm-hmm. just you rent a villa, but you rent it with service so that you can be privately, um, you can have your family privately together. I think that's happening a lot. And I think the wellness part will probably, you know, there are two ends of it, the sort of super luxury in uh, Hawaii with Larry Ellison's resort. And then there's the kind of a little more of a hippie commune. <laughs> or glamping. <laughs> in Ibiza. <laughs> but I think more, more of the wellness is about your mental state. You know, as Adam says, we're all looking for a little bit of peace here. Mm. And I think there's an, sort of an emphasis on that that's important in, in a few hotels around the world. Well, Pamela, you bring up a really interesting idea there about the notion of service and how service can actually step into the void where there is concern over the anxiety of whether or not something is clean, for example. Like, I mean, the hotels must be loving it to some degree that they don't have to spend as much money on housekeeping as, as they used to do. When people they're are using sort of, a lot more plastic, let me tell you. Right, right. So maybe maybe that's the downside. But, uh, you know, we've got a client that we're working with. We're working with the Six Senses on on a project in London at the moment. And they, they were really innovative about how they looked at it. I mean, this is a company that is constantly thinking about wellness and to your point, Pamela, not just the wellness of their body but wellness of your mind and wellness of trying to get deep down into all the different ways that you can take care of yourself. And, you know, they were, they immediately sort of started shifting gears on their, their in-room offers relative to the mini bar. And instead of just loading it up with a bunch of things that people are concerned about, whether other people have touched them and et cetera, et cetera, they said, what if we actually used a hospitality to, to actually enter into the fray and ask the guest what they wanted, right? So don't just load the mini bar up with 20 wine glasses that people aren't sure when the last time that they've been touched, but say, look, when you want something, I will bring it to you. And it becomes more of a human touch at that point. Well, right next to wellness, in my mind, at least, is sustainability. And you mentioned, Pamela, about plastic. But it it seems to me that that was already an issue, even pre-pandemic. I remember going to hotels and they said, you know, if you don't necessarily want your towels laundered after one use, hang them up. If you want them, want to leave them on the floors, which does save them money, Adam, to your point, which yeah. I'm sure they like. But, what a you know, coup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is, I think a lot of people do feel that a lot of luxury hotel was wasteful, all that packaging. So yeah. how do you think that's going to evolve? Well, I mean, along the same lines, the same project I was mentioning about the Six Senses in, in London we're doing is going to open as a zero plastic hotel, meaning wow. even deliveries of food product into the hotel that will be fueling, you know, a, a massive F&B program have to be delivered in a way that there is not plastic containers. So they have to have, be bringing fruits and vegetables into reusable, recyclable containers, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a big mandate that people just have to figure out how to get around. And I think ultimately, that's the kind of thing that really resonates with people, because it is that kind of that thought about 
that luxury is my choice as a consumer to do something that is better for not just myself, but maybe for everybody else as well. I, mean, I think I think it's twofold. Sustainability as a buzzword, unfortunately, feels a little bit outdated. As does wellness, but as does wellness, and, I, and, and so I, you know, it's more it's it's more about one being responsible, mm-hmm. and I think responsibility is is something that is very important and part of the narrative. I think sustainability, unfortunately, has gotten reduced to kind of a checklist through things like lead and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When there's actually a much bigger picture, and when you look at a lot of the the sort of municipal codes that are in place, they already require New York City, for example, has a very high energy calculation requirement. They already require us to be very sustainable right? All the buildings have to perform at a very, very high level. So it's not easy from an architectural point of view to get away with something that is not sustainable. All the buildings are performing. It's it's really the more of the all of the OS&E and all the stuff that comes in and out of the hotel that is more really under the operator's control. And, and I agree with both Adam and Pamela. I think everyone's going to be demanding more, right? Everybody has access to more and more information. We're, we're, we are pounded by information all day long through all of our devices. And we know what the options are. We know what's out there. We know what it means to be a good steward, and we know what it means when we're not. Well, the other place that that we influence as designers is the question of what do we put in the room? What do we do when we build the interior? Where does it come from? And when we do a renovation, does everything just get tossed in a big dumpster? I've always found that extremely upsetting, the Mm -hmm. idea that, that everything gets thrown out. There used to be the idea that hotels were sort of designed for for years. You might reupholster and repaint and things like that. But today we've gone back to the toss the whole darn room and mm-hmm. you know a hundred rooms and and mm-hmm. it's kind of a sin. And I also find this whole the idea of materials and fabrics and I wish we were going back to natural fibers and real things. And I think probably that's what kind of makes the smaller hotel appeal to me. That's very true. I mean, I think 90% of the carpeting that's produced, 90% is plastic, Mm. right? Is is um, some sort of polyurethane sort of component, right? And with all the emphasis on outdoor, that means outdoor fabrics, which are basically petroleum-based. Yep. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. You know, we've talked a lot about hotels, but I want to ask you guys, because you all have done amazing restaurants and, you know, restaurants that were real hot spots and design forward. And I agree with you all that people want to get together. And we did see that with the restrictions. But how is restaurant design going to change? You know, our audience is largely designers, so I'm sure they're they're dying to know what you guys think in terms of aesthetics. I mean, is there, is it still going to be the kind of dramatic spaces that people have been attracted to? Or are they looking for cozier spots? Like one of the things we were talking about, it seems like hotel rooms are getting a little bit more like apartments or homes. Is that going to be true of restaurants? Or like me, are people sick of being home and want to go out and, you know? 
being well, in a place that's totally different. It's an interesting question. I mean, we come from a world in which we are, you know, we we primarily a design firm working in the hospitality space, but we've also owned and operated our own restaurants and exactly. bars. Exactly. So you for have many many years, insight. right? Yeah, yeah, and I I, I would bring up. An example from the last time there was a kind of a global crisis, which was the kind of credit crunch of 2008 and into 2009 and what design was like prior to that and what design was like after that. I don't think that we're going to be seeing a structural change to the way in which you lay out seating or the lengths of bars or anything like that. I don't think you're going to start seeing a ton of pods being chucked into hotels or sorry, into restaurants. But I, I do think that prior to 2008, there was an, an exploratory kind of sense of design that design was being used to create the almost the, the, the truly dramatic spaces and the really experiential types of spaces. And right after that, because people had sort of shocked their system a little bit, design moved into this slightly more cozy and homier kind of way. Isn't that when mac and cheese came back? It's like it is when, when right. mac and cheese came back, and then people started chucking lobster, and and then right. everybody had it on their menu, and, kale, and, and the kale right. salads kind right. of showed up on every single menu. So, but I think ultimately, I don't, I don't know what's going to come out of this, but I do think that there will be some way in which we are uh, sort of designing for people that feel the need for reducing their anxiety and maybe being comforted a bit more, and whether that is designing in a way that allows people to be a bit more familiar with with either the the, the types of of ff and e or the types of themes that are happening within design that it won't be as dramatic because ultimately everybody's kind of rebounding and feeling that they need to kind of go into these spaces that are very safe and so i think design will will likely at least for the next year or so kind of have a bit of a wave of this kind of safe safeness I like the clear plastic dividers between tables. I, and it sounds funny, but, you know, normally in New York restaurant, you're packed in with people. You're sitting, you know, you, the next two top is like four inches away from you and you have to turn sideways to get between the table. So you're sitting at a restaurant. You're literally part of the, you know, the date that's happening at the table next yeah. to you. And you, you hear everything they're talking about. Which is always great, right? Which is always Entertaining, great. yes. If you have to go to the bathroom, you hold it in because you it's hold such it a pain. In, right? You know, and it's impossible not to react to a comment that is made by an adjacent table because you, you know, smile or whatever it is. So having the barriers now, it's a little weird, but it does give you a little bit more privacy and gives you a little bit more intimacy. And I think that, you know, we all want to go out. It's, it's, it's a weird, delicate balance between wanting to go out and be part of the public sphere, but also wanting to have these intimate moments and, and sort of being able to navigate both. Mm. So I, I think you're going to see sort of an interesting experimentation in how to create those. You know, think about the best seat at a restaurant. The best seat at a restaurant is always the booth, right? Yeah. In the booth. The big Hollywood. Right, yeah. And, yeah. and your back is to nothing and you're looking out at yes. everybody, but you're in your own little bubble. Yeah. And so these, the plastic barriers in some ways have created these individual bubbles for everybody. Yeah. In the villa I'm working on, on in Lake Como, that we started on the dining spaces. And of course, we're dealing with historic rooms, so... The size is small anyway, but the client's first thing they said was, no, 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 I don't want a restaurant. I want dining rooms as if they're sort of in a home and I never want more than 10 people in a dining room. It's a really good point. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we as humans, and again, as kind of as evolution has brought us from being cavemen, you always look for that corner in order to be, to feel safe. You know, as Matt was saying, you like to get yourself with your back to the wall, right? So if you are in a Hollywood where everybody's got their back to the walls to some degree, you sort of are the happiest. And, you know, if you can identify, you know, there's been lots of studies about 
you know, the safest time that, that you are in a room is when you can identify all four corners because then you kind of know your boundaries. You kind of know how to get in or get out of the room. And so I think these gargantuanly large spaces, um, you know, maybe people will be breaking them up a little bit more in order to kind of make sure that people can identify their boundaries. Right. But it does seem like young people want to be in crowds. Yeah. You know, I mean, alone just, but together. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and close together. I mean, Lollapalooza, all these things are back. So, and this is even with Delta on the rise. So, you know, I get, and the other question for me is how small can you get and still have it be economically viable for, you know, the owners, the, the developers or whoever. So, Matt, what do you think? Is that going to be a, a concern for your people who come to you for to design, say, a hot restaurant with an active bar scene? I don't think so. I think that there is a sense now, especially among the vaccinated, that, you know, what is happening is going to happen. I know many, many people now who are vaccinated but have gotten COVID and they got sick and it was not fun, but they survived and they didn't go to the hospital. It was like the flu. Mm -hmm. And and that is what we have to remember about this is the vaccine is not going to stop you from getting COVID. It's just going to minimize the hospitalization rates and minimize the mortality and stuff like that. And so which is not nothing. It's not nothing. And it's not fun. Absolutely. But but I think there is a general sense uh, among the vaccinated that life goes on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that we are going to continue to enjoy life. And we're, we, we have now spent a year and a half putting our lives on hold, not socializing, not seeing family, not doing the things that we all enjoy, which include travel and all these other things. And everyone is ready to get back. Yeah. And, and with a vengeance. I mean, you know, yeah. there is this, there is this, uh, someone I know coined, I don't know if she coined the term, but I heard the term, this idea of revenge spending. Yeah. Um, and I love that term. I mean, I, I think it's freaking brilliant. But this idea of revenge spending, like something has happened to me, right? I have been, I have endured this and now I am owed this yeah. new thing. You I shall get, get your comeuppance. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And right. we're seeing it high end retail, right? We're seeing the high end retail world is doing yes, is doing very booming. well, booming. Right. You know, I've talked to some folks in the high end retail world, and they talk about their first, you know, first and second quarter numbers being higher than the pre pandemic levels. You're seeing airports packed again. You're seeing mm-hmm. hotels. You're seeing resorts. I mean, you can't get into restaurants these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they're struggling obviously because they can't. They don't have the wait staff to serve. So right, they're, yeah. you know, they're almost at a natural 50 percent capacity because they just right. simply can't staff the tables. Right. So oh, you know, yeah. you're just you're you're seeing that revenge, right? come out. And the more that we're pushed down with the Delta variant and all these things, the more that's pushed at us, I think the more we're going to see uh, uh, that type of response. Right. I, I, I kept hearing about pent-up demand and it was almost like it was like a pent-up dragon, you know, once yeah. it was unleashed, just like nobody could keep up. Some of those people are really angry when they can't get served. You know, there's we've seen incidents on planes and in these restaurants that, you know, it's like the sense of entitlement is almost a little scary. But, you know, people want to be out and they want what they want. And Matt brought up a really interesting point, which is the workforce issue. And I've, mm-hmm. I've heard this from a lot of our clients. We do a lot of work with the Boca crew in Chicago. And I was having a chat with Rob the other day, Rob Katz. And he was telling me that I think that their numbers, uh, their second quarter numbers on the majority of the restaurants are higher than their second quarter, same month in 2019, even with the waitstaff shortage that they have. And they're closed on one or two nights a week because they just can't staff the restaurant. And yet their numbers are still higher than pre-2019, same quarter. So it's really interesting. And a lot of people that were in the restaurant industry either went 
and, and moved out of the cities that they were living in uh, because they didn't have the income in order to provide the rent. Or a lot of them shifted into new careers and, and new mm-hmm. types of jobs and have just not returned to the, re- to the hospitality industry. I wanted to ask you all something. On a, I guess it's a more mundane level, but not really mundane. Design is not mundane. But I, I'd love to get a sense because all of you have been very prescient in the places that you've designed. They've, they've created, I hate to use the word trends, but they've been very influential. You know, they've been got a lot of press. People look to you. People look to all of you as sort of bellwethers of what's to come. So I'd love to get a sense of what you're looking at that you find inspiring at the moment? Like, Pamela, why don't we start with you? You know, where are you turning? You're working on this project in Lake Como. What are you thinking about? What are there periods in history you're looking at? Are there fabric houses? What are you looking at that's making you think about something fresh and new and gets you excited? Well, I mean, I think the fresh and new, I'm not not sure about it. But, I mean, obviously, working in Italy, you're working with Italian sources, um, and at, that, and that whole internationally, that's becoming more and more part of the vibe of doing anything. I mean, if you're working in Brazil, you're working with Brazilian sources. If you you just have to because economically, trading from country to country has gotten more and more complicated instead of simpler. I mean, I my sort of wish for the future is that we do have more small hotels and you talk about the economy and the economy of, you know, a 50 room hotel is totally different than the economy of a hundred room hotel or a 200 room hotel. You know, we'll have business hotels, you know, we'll have great old city, I call them grand dame hotels. And so I hope that the future is, is more the small hotel it's not, they aren't all the same. This sort of identical uh, look to hotels, I hope, is over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, and that the luxury sort of market, and I sort of choose that because I work more in the luxury market. I hope the luxury market learns to spend its money more wisely to create more interesting Places, I hate to say experiences, but more interesting environments, more interesting interiors, more interesting restaurants and outdoor things. I think hotels, the thing that they can offer is they can supply the guest with the experience, whereas renting a house without service, without anything, just renting what I call Airbnb, you don't have you don't have the person that can tell you about what's something special that you're interested in and how to get there and what to do. And so I think all of that will become much more important because people want to travel with a purpose much more than just an you know a vague idea, a checklist per se. I agree with Pamela entirely. I, I, th- I think, I think it's it's the experience and the connection to the local that makes something unique, right? It's it's you feel like you're getting something. You feel like you've learned something. So mm-hmm. you check into a hotel, and you know, and maybe the the coffee shop or the tea purveyor is someone who they've already sourced. 
it's local, it's someone who's doing something unique in the industry, and they're bringing it to you. I think hotels are starting to do a better job of pushing in, but I think they can push in more. They can, you know, instead of you having to go to the concierge and say, hey, where can you get me a reservation? They're coming to you saying, hey, are you thinking of dining out? If so, we've already curated these restaurants for you. We've already curated some of these experiences because we know this is something that's going to be unique and memorable. Right. And and that's the idea of it not being a one size fits all type thing. I think through technology, they're already pushing in before you even get to the hotel saying, how can we help your stay? Do you want an extra mm-hmm. pillow? Do you want this, that and the other thing? Right. I that's think you're going to see technology push in more mm-hmm. prior to arrival that isn't going to be a robot greeting you, but it's mm-hmm. going to be helping to curate your experience. That is going to be something that is unique to what you and your, you know, your group wants. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that ultimately is going to make us stay in any of these places, even if it's the same brand from city to city, a unique experience in that particular city. Yeah. You know, running restaurants for years gave us the same. So we, we were constantly basically trying to have certain notes about customers that we would say, look, they ordered this or they ordered a special bottle of wine. So if they came in the next time, we kind of knew generally what their appetite was and not for everybody, but you would just try to take some notes so that it became more personal so that you could understand, you know, these people have come in 20 times. Why? Why are they coming in 20 times? Like, how can we sit them in a different part of the restaurant so they can have a slightly different experience? How can we, if we, if they order the same drink each time and you drop it at the table before they sit down, boom, all of a sudden you've yeah, basically yeah. made a more memorable experience. And to be fair, were we monetizing that? Absolutely. Because we wanted to make sure that that guest was going to come back for the 25th to the 35th time. But I think ultimately it is the nature of hospitality is that way in which you are being hospitable yeah. to somebody. And doing that in a way that's meaningful is what then imprints your experience, your brand on them. And that if that affects the choices that they make when they're faced with making choices. And, and that is the definition of luxury, right? That's yes. the, def- the definition of luxury is when you are, think about a VIP, when you are made to feel like a VIP. Yes. And it could be the simplest thing. I saved this bottle of wine for you. Yeah. I remembered yeah. you. I remembered what you ate. Right. Oh, you like I a firm pillow. You. So I yeah. the move. You like a firm Oh, hi, Mr. Broom. You like this firm pillow. Right. I already reserved right. one for you. Right. Yeah. Totally. How special does that totally. make you feel? And you can be just every person, right? And you've now had an, a luxurious experience. Like sure. to your point, you have access. You, you mentioned this before. I think both yourself and Pamela mentioned this before. Access is a version of luxury. And having access to an insider's perspective about, about what a good bottle of wine is or, or them knowing that you like something and that you're going to make sure that you, you service that is, is an incredible experience. I think that's also the reason why some people join the member the member hotels, right, definitely, Soho um, House, and member kind of travel thing, right? groups right. and things because they can they know that those groups will their aim will be to personalize their experience. Well, I guess what I'm hearing from you guys is that travel's not going on. away. What <laughs> the game is on? The game is yeah. on. <laughs> Leprechauns <laughs> are definitely back. <laughs> travel's not going away, but I think that. It sounds like hotels and restaurants and bars are in very different ways have to get more personal and really entice people and reward them. And, you know, you guys are all brilliant at doing that and creating spaces that people want to go to, hang out, spend time in. And I think that your services are only going to be more in demand. I'm glad to hear that you're all so busy. And 
I think there's a very exciting stretch ahead for the hospitality business for hotels and restaurants and bars. And God knows I'm longing to go to all three of those. Um, that, level of, <laughs> that level of personalization also creates safety, right? A feeling of course. Yes. You feel you're being right? taken yes. care of. of exactly. And of very reassuring. So that's what, we're, that's what you're, you guys are going to be creating. And I'm really excited to see what you're doing. All three of you, your maestros of hospitality design, Pamela Babby, Matt Berman, and Adam Farmery. Thank you so much. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Music.